0: Good morning. Happy Labor Day. It's a holiday, right? Woohoo! Hey, we are so glad you're here. Um welcome to North Point whether you've been here for a really long time or this is your first time here or whether it's your first Sunday back after a long time away. Uh we're just glad that we're here and can worship together today. Every week new people come back and uh as as things are, get going, it's a, it is Labor Day weekend, so we probably may not have quite as many people, but um, if you're able to, slide in towards the center, towards the ropes, so that additional people as they come, come in can sit at the back and still socially distance, that would be great, if you're able to do that, if you're comfortable. If you would rather have more space around you to just kind of do that, come down front. There's more space down front, right? And uh, you're a little more protected that way. Uh, God's going to do some great stuff today. It's a weird kind of weekend. Jamie and most of the band are in Florida at a worship conference, so they're not here. And uh, Chad and Jenna usually l- lead worship when they're gone. Chad's dad passed away pretty unexpectedly this past week, and, um, and so we've got a special kind of Sunday. We're going to worship together with some video from COVID time. And uh, some live worship with Mandy and Carrie Bayshore as well. So it's going to be just a cool morning. So if you would, go ahead and stand up, uh, turn around and nod at somebody, wave to them, give them an air high five, whatever. And uh, as the video gets started, uh, sing out and let's worship together.
1: That powerful name of Jesus, that wonderful name of Jesus, is so fabulously evident in each of our lives if we just look for it. And the thing that I find remarkable is that even with all his glory and majesty, he sees me, he sees you, he knows our names, he knows everything we're thinking, and he loves us. Just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me. Uh
0: ahead and take a seat something really cool is going to happen second service we're going to have an opportunity to see uh, someone take the step of christian baptism of being immersed in the water as they say jesus i want you to have complete control of my life Uh, you're here first service but we want you to hear her story hear a little bit of how god has been working in karina's life so take a look on screen
2: especially around the time my son got really sick and felt, I guess, that it was a punishment. Both of us got really angry, and um, I mean, we had so many people praying for us, and I would find myself praying, and when you think back, I mean, I was praying to God, And so, so many people were praying for him, too. And I mean, he got better. He got the transplant he needed, and he got better. And I can see how he worked. I could see God. I could see Jesus in that. And I could feel all the prayers that were going up for him. And it reminded me everything I learned when I was younger between my son's healing and our call and our pull on our hearts to move up here to Michigan, just drop everything we had and, and pick up and move up to Michigan, that was a aha hand on our shoulder moment from God. We took a leap, that leap of faith. God has led us to this church. God has led us to the life group we were in. God has led us to serve here at church. And God is leading me and telling me now is the time. And I feel it's time to get baptized as a recommitment to Him.
0: Do you, um... To restate your faith and, and just uh, repeat after me, I believe. I believe that Jesus is God's Son. That Jesus is God's Son. And I give him complete control of my life. And I give him complete control of my life. Created because of that confession, you're being baptized into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Pray. Let's just pray together God, God together we, we lift her up to you Lord, her desire to follow you To, to be the, the mom, the wife, the leader The example uh, that you've called her to be That's all in her heart And God, uh, help her to be faithful uh, Fill her with your spirit Help her to be consistent And as Satan takes his attacks at her God, let her show sure. Build her up let us surround her as she follows Jesus. In in His name we praise us now.
1: Amen. Amen. And oh, how He loves us! Oh, how He loves us!
0: We are so glad that you're here. If today's your first time at North Point, a special welcome. If you've been around a long, long time, uh, glad you're here as well. If you would, if you've been around North Point, if you'd go out, go ahead and take out the North Point app and uh, go to the Let's Connect tab and just let us know you're here. That way, uh, if we need to get in touch with you, we can, and uh, it gives you a chance to, to know what's going on at North Point as well. If you're new, if it's your first time, the easiest thing you can do is with a smartphone, just send a text to uh, 94090, 94090, and just in the message put guest NCC, and that will take you to the same kind of thing, that will allow you to, to connect with us and us with you, um, and if God's working in your life, if, if you need more information about the church, if you're making a commitment to follow Jesus, uh, you can let us know on that as well, and that would be a really cool thing, we would love to, to uh, help you with that. If you're, if you're relatively new to North Point, um, and you'd like to meet some of the staffs some of the teaching team. We would love to do that next Sunday, immediately after first service in room 102, which is just right back there. And uh, and so uh, if you're new, just think, oh, I'm going to stick afterwards next week. Or um, if you're planning on coming second service, come a little early, and that would be great. We would love to be able to do that. Um, I, I, I want to just welcome anybody that's back maybe it's their first time that they haven't been here through the whole covid uh time and uh and coming back is a it's kind of a big step you know to come back and be in a place like this if you're able to when you come in if you're able to slide in towards the ropes in the center that allows people to come in and sit on the outside and still social distance that's a great thing um We've had more and more people coming back. And if you're here from another church uh, because their their services haven't opened up yet, man, we are so glad that you're here and so glad that we are part of the same kingdom. We serve the same God and are able to worship together, and uh, that's just a really cool thing. So uh, uh, it's, it's cool to see more and more people coming back, God working in that way, and we're jazzed about that. Um, if you 're going through some struggles right now there we have three recovery groups that are starting just in the next few weeks uh, divorce care if you if 're navigating divorce either um, just very recently or maybe you 've just not ever worked through that divorce care is a great opportunity for that grief share the same kind of thing if you 've lost uh, a member of your family, a loved one, and uh, that could be recent or it could be a long time ago and again you 've just not been able to process that very well um, we 'd invite you to sign up for that. You can do that on the app or at the Connect kiosk out and back. Financial Peace University is starting in a few weeks as well. And uh, if you're struggling through this time, maybe uh, struggling financially, uh, working through things because of job situations, Financial Peace is a great place to start. So uh, you can sign up for those. We would love to have you be a part of that. I think that's everything I'm supposed to say. I hope so. Chris is saying yes, so that's good. Uh, The... uh, Every week we offer an opportunity for people to worship in a very tangible way. Uh, to, as we sing together, as we connect as the body of Christ, as we hear God's word spoken, but also as we give. Um, our offering time really is an expression of worship, and I would encourage you to participate in that. Many, many, many of you are given electronically, and, uh, th- that, that's just easier thing. We're not passing the trays right now. And that's cool. If you'd like to do that, um, uh, you can text 77977. And, uh, put the message in NCC Give, and that will take you, that will allow you to do that really easily. If you came and, uh, and you'd like to give a gift of cash or a check, there are two, um, containers by these two doors right out here. And, uh, you can just put those in the, in the containers on the way out, and that would be great as well. Um, everybody doing good? Good. God's working. You know, even in the, um, even when it doesn't see it, seem like it, even when stuff is cloudy, God's working. And, uh, and so, uh, I'm anxious for Chris's message. We, we finished this, uh, a series of messages today and got a new series that's just gonna be really, really good that starts next week. Uh, let me pray and, uh, and, uh, we'll jump into the message. God, thanks for today. Thanks for each person who's here and the way that you're working in their lives. Um, God, I thank you for the body of Christ, um, how big it is and, um, and, and what you're calling us to, to do at this point in time and that you're drawing us to Jesus all the time. God, take our offerings and use them in ways that we can't even imagine. Multiply them, God, for, for your kingdom, uh, use them for your glory in Jesus name. We pray. Amen. Amen.
3: Well, good morning, North Point. <laughs> Some of you had Friday off, huh? I can tell. You can tell. Hey, it's just good to be here this morning. I mean, baptism is a cool thing to be part of. I'm, I'm glad we're here. I get to hang out in second service too, and if you wanted to, you're welcome to stick around and watch that. This is a cool thing watching someone take that next step in that discipleship journey. It's a cool thing. Uh, cool thing this morning to be able to be led in worship by Carrie and Mandy Bayshore. That was just cool, right? Um, yeah, I don't, they'll get, it's, I'm just kidding. Carrie, man, if you haven't met them, they're just cool people, both school teachers. So they're trying to figure out how to do school in the midst of all that's going on and still loving Jesus and loving family and loving people and leading worship's cool thing. If you want to get to know Carrie and Mandy more, I'll put a pitch in right now for North Point 101. It's really designed for folks who are kind of newish to North Point, been around for a few months, but they lead that. So even if you've been here for decades and you're just like, they're good. Looking people, I want to get to know them, like feel free, drop in on that they would they would they would dig that, so uh, so glad you're here this morning. What a good morning, like Rick said um, uh, we 're concluding a series this morning we 've called it what i 'm learning. Uh, our friend from Great Lakes College, Phil Beaver was here, and he was just talking about the importance of priorities for Christians, especially just the, the effectiveness that comes with having the right priorities. Our family life pastor Jake Howard, has been learning about and then talked about emotions and then and then loving the wrong people, which was powerful, right? Because we all, we all know who the wrong people are. I mean, you're probably somebody's wrong person, if we're just honest about it. But how do we, how, what do, we do with that? How do we love people we just don't get or agree with? Couldn't be more timely. Right? And, and then the last number of weeks, I've talked about um, just a book that I read that's impactful to me uh, uh, called um, uh, Three Words to Change Your Life, making much of God, turning God into God, that's been impactful. So today, we end that series, and um, I just want to start kind of where we're heading, with a confession. I just want to uh, uh, confess to you, this is something our our Catholic brothers have the angle on, and us Protestants, we've kind of lost that thing sometimes, so uh, if this morning you'll just uh, play that role for me, just to confess to you. It's a little embarrassing, I don't talk about it a lot, because uh, it just feels a little... Um, uh, I don't know, embarrassing, I guess, which is weird because most of us probably deal with the same thing, have the same thing, but it still feels a little uh, awkward to talk about it. But here it is, just kind of throw it out there, Um, I have a heart problem. So when I was born, uh, I was born with this heart murmur, which I don't frankly even know exactly what that is, something about a hole in your heart, which doesn't sound right, but I guess that's, and it didn't really do much to me, like I didn't really never uh, notice it, Uh, I'd go for physicals and I was supposed to tell the doctor every single time, and I I think he listened or she listened to my heart and was like, oh yeah, there it is, and uh, that was about it, and and maybe sometimes my heart beat really fast when I was a kid, I don't know if that's related or that's because I was pudgy and really enjoyed sitting around and playing video games uh, more than doing anything outside, I don't know if the are linked. Um, uh, Around age 35, that's a little more than 10 years ago, I woke up at about 2 a.m. with massive chest pains. I'd never felt anything like this in my entire life. Uh, I didn't want to bother my wife because men are stupid. And and so uh, I drove myself, not all guys, right guys? You're all with me on this, come on. Uh, So I drove myself to the grocery store because I was sure that it was just some sort of heartburn or something, and uh, and as I got to the grocery store, why are you laughing? I got to the grocery store, because you know men, I got to the grocery store and and I stopped for a moment, uh, maybe it was Holy Spirit, in the parking lot, and before I went in I thought, oh my gosh, what if this is a heart attack? And I thought, well, that's stupid. I'm like 30-something. 30-something year olds don't get heart attacks. I'm relatively in shape. I have a shape. And, uh, and I'm fine. And, and uh, full disclosure, that night for dinner, I had had an entire double onion calzone. So nobody should eat a double onion calzone ever, but the waitress misheard me and I just felt obligated because I got issues. So I ate that. So I was sure, that it was just some kind of heartburn or something. But I was sitting in that parking lot of a grocery store thinking, should I go to the ER? And in true male fashion, I, I said, that's going to cost me a lot of money, and it's going to be there forever. It's probably just some kind of harbor. So I went into the grocery store and, uh, and bought uh, all the antacid they had and ate most of it and went home and fell asleep, and I didn't die. So I'm thinking it probably was just indigestion. Now, my medical friends right now are groaning, You're like, and and this is why I give biblical advice and, and not medical advice. I think that it was probably nothing at all. But here's the point. It was the first time in my life that I actually started thinking about my heart health very first time that even entered into my radar. Maybe eating an entire double onion calzone is not a good plan. A couple, couple years later, uh, as I was working through some uh, bad thinking patterns and working through some mental health stuff, I uh, took, took up running, and that's kind of been a thing for me ever since, is, is running not only for uh, mental health, but for physical health as well. So here's the question. I just tell that silly story to ask this question right here. How often have you taken stock of your own heart health. Like maybe that happens once a year for you when you go for your annual physical, because you all go get annual f- physicals, right men? And, uh, and maybe you hear the words from the doctor like, hey, you could lose a couple pounds or, or hey, you know, maybe you need to eat a little healthier, burgers every night. Mm-hmm. Uh, or maybe here's some pills, you probably should take these, that'll help you. So maybe you do have some focus on your physical heart, but what about your spiritual heart? Your other heart? The, the the spiritual heart, maybe you would call it your soul. How often do you take stock of your soul? Our, our Hebrew friends, in Hebrew, that word that they use it, and as a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, when you read about the heart, uh, it's literally translated guts or or bowels, because the Hebrews believe that's where it was rooted for you. Like when we talk about gut instinct, I mean that's kind of what they were wrapped around when they talked about heart. How often? Do you take stock of your spiritual heart? How healthy is your heart? We might be able to fake a healthy heart for a while, maybe even a long while, but eventually a sick heart will attack us. It will lash out, it will stop us cold. It will eventually kill us slow and painfully. There's a litany of symptoms that our spiritual hearts are sick. Maybe uh, you've got a whole list of inappropriate behaviors or maybe hurtful words that litter the ground around you, uh, a wake of broken relationships, or, or maybe you hide from relationships, or maybe you hide in so many relationships so none of them ever have to get deep and actually know you. Maybe it's a pursuit of rules at all costs, or, or maybe quickly pointing out the flaws of others. Uh, and if you have the North Point app, these verses are in here. They're going to pop up behind me as well, and some fill-ins. But in Matthew chapter 15, there's this uh, interesting uh, episode that Jesus has with uh, religious leaders and people that are listening as well as his followers. And it says this, starting in verse 1, it says, Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, I'll just... Go on record, you should wash your hands before you eat. But for, for the Jews, this was not so much about a, a cleanliness thing, like uh, making sure their hands were clean so they didn't get uh, COVID or whatever. It was more about um, a ceremonial thing. They actually had a law on their books that said that you had to wash your hands from the tip of your finger to your elbow. That's real protocol right there, right? But it was ceremonial. It just demonstrated they were spiritually clean. And this was a rule that they had set up. And so uh, Jesus and his guys are are making a statement here. And in verse 3, Jesus answers their question. And he says, well, why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother. And anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help mom or dad is devoted to God, they're not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. This seems weird. I I get it. The Jews also had this little uh, uh, expectation that the younger generation would help the older generation out if needed be. That, That makes some sense. But they had this little loophole game they would play where the religious leaders in particular would take their money and their stuff and their vehicles, whatever they had, and they would call it korban or devoted to God. And if it was devoted to God, then they couldn't use it for anything else. Sorry, mom and dad, no old-timer home for you, (laughs) because it's devoted to God. Sorry that you need a ride to the airport, well, that car's devoted to God. Sorry that you can't pay your heating bill this month, that money's devoted to God. You see the game? And so Jesus just smacks him in the face with this, and he says, well, you ask about washing hands, let's talk about something much more important. Let's talk about your, let's talk about your heart. Because that's a game that you're playing with those rules. He goes on, says Jesus called uh, the crowd to him, and he said, listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. But what comes out of their mouth is what defiles them. Over in verse 16, he says, are you still so dull? Jesus asked him, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of the person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. Again, I'll go on record, please wash your hands. But that's not the most important thing. I mean, we can make a a little COVID joke about washing your hands, but to be honest, COVID not washing your hands is not our biggest problem. Like this is our biggest problem. And Jesus recognizes that. And and, and so he says, you know, whatever pours out of your heart, that's what taints you. And it will pour out of your heart. It will come out here. It will come out here. It will come out. Because we're just not good at hiding it. Our inner heart is ridiculously important. Proverbs chapter 4, it says this. and, And just a reminder, Proverbs is written primarily from a father to a son. This this dad says, I want my son to understand like these really important things of life. And so he writes them down and kind of, I I get the picture of he hands them to him like on his deathbed kind of things like, like boy, I want you to remember these things. Here you go. And he says this in chapter four, verse 20. He says, my son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Don't let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart for they are life to those who find them and healthy to one's whole body. Here it is above all else. Everything else that I've said in these words, everything else that's important that's probably really good for you to understand about finding a good woman and and chasing wisdom and, and making sure that you're doing the right things and in the right places, and all these things, above all those things, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Somehow, everything in our heart translates into words and actions. So, so this morning what I want to do uh, is I just want to uh, suggest that there are four enemies of our heart. Four things that lead to massive heart disease. I I read a book. I know that's a surprise, called "Enemies of the Heart" by a guy named a little guy named Andy Stanley. And this is what he says about this: He says there are four life-blocking agents that become lodged in our heart, poisoning our relationships, our faith, and our character. Those corrosive forces gain strength from darkness. Seeing is the greatest ally. Left to their own, they grow in power and influence like a lab experiment. Gone horribly awry. So at least facing these four potential enemies of your heart is half the battle, knowing that they're there. Here we go. And if you're doing the fill-ins in your app, this is this is some of those. The first enemy of the heart, we call it guilt. Guilt is, is really this sense right here of I owe you. Guilt is the result of having done something that we perceive as wrong. That's not rocket science. We do something that we think is wrong and we feel guilty for it. Somehow we owe that person. When we sin against other people, in essence, we steal from them. It might be an emotion, a feeling, a hurt. It could be a physical thing. But literally, we take something from them that wasn't ours to take and we now feel like we owe them. Matter of fact, we even use that language. We say things like, I owe her an apology. Or, I really need to say I'm sorry. Or or if you're raising little kids, you go, you need to tell your brother you're sorry. Sorry, right? We use that kind of language. Nothing less than paying back that debt will relieve the guilt. The problem is no amount of good deeds, community service, charitable giving, Sunday attendance, or the right words ever seem to match the guilt you feel from the thing that you owe. So there's nothing that will ever really pay them back. Guilt is an enemy of the heart. Here's the second enemy of the heart. It's this, this little one here. We call it anger. <laughs> anger uh, really stems from you owe me. Guilt says I owe you. I've done something to hurt you, and I feel guilty. Anger says you owe me. You've done something to hurt me, and, and I feel angry. And so we get angry typically when we don't get what we want. We don't get our own way. And this includes not getting the thing that we deserve, sometimes we legitimately deserve it. We've worked that time, we've paid that due, we've shown up to that place, we, I don't know, won that contest, whatever it might be, we deserve the thing, and we get angry because we didn't get the thing that we deserve. Sometimes we just think we deserve it, right? Because we think we're wonderful and amazing and smarter than anybody else, or whatever it is, and we think we deserve it, and we don't get that thing, and so it leads to anger, uh, in our home, when our girls were little, uh, this is probably just our home because of our terrible parenting, my terrible parenting skill, uh, but uh, our kids argued all the time. Anybody? No? It's just us. Cool. And, um, and, uh, and, and often the argument would be about uh, something, and, and the, the phrase that would come out is, that's not fair! No one? Anybody? Oh, good. And so and so, and a lot of times it was, it was really important things like, she got more macaroni and cheese than me. <laughs> and we're like, huh? or uh, she got more time on the movie than me. And so uh, uh, instead of losing our minds as parents, we just invented this fake thing that we called the fair fairy. And so when my kids would yell, that's not fair, I'd be like, you got to find the fair fairy. Because again, my parenting skills are... But, but fair fair was a big thing in our home because our kids just that sense of anger from not getting what they felt like they deserved, and, and sometimes um, that's just life, we just don't get the thing that we think, we so we drive towards anger, the angry person is usually a hurt person, they've been hurt somehow, the, the natural reaction to hurt is anger and, and payback, Guilt says I owe you and you're trying to figure out how to pay it back. Anger says you owe me and I'm going to get that back. I'm going to get revenge. Uh, Somehow you're going to owe me. But the scales never quite seem to balance out. It always seems to do this because then I do something to you that's a little bigger because obviously you owe me some interest and then you do something to me that's just a hair bigger because you owe me a little. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And we end up with like family wars or something. Over time, this sense of He owes me or she owes me really will bleed out to everyone owes me. Angry people don't just stay angry with an individual. They become angry people at everyone. And everyone owes me. Nothing seems to ever please. And hear me clearly. It's not that you don't have a legitimate hurt. If you're an angry person, you've been hurt by someone. You probably have a legitimate hurt. They have done something wrong against you. They have taken something from you. They have hurt you in some tangible way, whether intentional or unintentional. They probably have done that, and you have a legitimate hurt. It's not that you weren't taken advantage of. You were. It's just that over time, that anger will ruin your heart. Here's the third enemy of the heart, greed. Greed. Greed, in essence, says, I owe me. Uh, Guilt says, uh, I owe you. Anger says, uh, you owe me. And, and, And greed says, I owe me. It sounds like this, I deserve every good thing that comes my way, and every good thing that could possibly come my way, it should all be mine. What's mine is mine, because I've earned it, and i got a lot more coming. Right? Greed is sneaky. Greed disguises his, itself. I, I, I know that many men, majority of men, probably wouldn't have a problem saying, yeah, I, I struggle with anger. And, and I know I know lots of people, majority of people would say, mm-hmm, yep, I've got some guilt. I, I don't think I've met anyone yet that has told me, yep, I'm super greedy. <laughs> it just seems to be this little hidden sneaky thing. People don't want to admit that. We don't even think that we're greedy. Greedy people are often savers and saving is a good thing. They're often planners and planning is a good thing. They they often want to make sure their financial future is secure and making sure your financial future is a good thing. And greed sometimes hides in all of that. It's often easier to diagnose greed in other people (laughs) than to see it in yourself. Again, here's what Andy Stanley says in his book. He says, greedy people talk a lot and worry a lot about money. Greedy people are not cheerful givers. Greedy people are reluctant to share. Greedy people are poor losers. Greedy people quibble over insignificant sums of money. Greedy people talk as if they have just enough to get by. Greedy people often create a culture of secrecy around them. Greedy people won't let you forget what they've done for you. Greedy people are reluctant to express gratitude. Greedy people aren't content with what they have. Greedy people are content to control people with their money. Greed knows no socioeconomic boundaries. I've met greedy poor people and greedy rich people. See, greed isn't a financial issue. It's a heart issue. Jesus, in, in Luke 12, has this interesting, uh, I think it's interesting, uh, experience in his life. He's out doing his thing and, 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 and somebody stops him kind of cold. And in verse uh, 13 of chapter 12, says this. Someone in the crowd said to him, Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. One thing that drives me nuts about the Bible is sometimes we don't get the context. Like, they doesn't tell us. Like, what the heck? This seems very out of the blue, doesn't it? This dude just shows up. Jesus is doing the Jesus thing with bread and fish and people and healing and teaching and talking and just doing what he does. And the dude shows up. He's like, Tell my brother! (laughs) Divide the inheritance. Somebody died apparently because they're talking about an inheritance. He doesn't talk about that. He just wants what's his. I deserve, let's assume there's two brothers. I don't know that. We're just making that up. I deserve half. Tell him to give it to me now. That seems like a catch-22 for Jesus. What's he going to say? He's Jesus, so he replies with this, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Okay. (laughs) And then he goes on, which I think it would have been good to stop there and walk away, like not my problem. But then he says to him, watch out. This is everybody listening. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. That's bumper sticker stuff right there, isn't it? That's tattoos on your wrist. That's like, you know, signs on your wall when people walk into your home, you know, right above, like live, love, pray, or whatever it is. Like, like life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And it's interesting that Jesus calls this guy out on greed because he, he's, he's not greedy, right? He just wants what's his. He just, that's, what's mine is mine. That should be mine. Dad died and I want my stuff. Tell my brother to give it to me. And Jesus says, man, be careful about greed. Jesus goes on, and we won't read it, you can read it later because you got a Bible, but Jesus goes on to tell this entire story then about this guy, this rich guy who's got like like storage units full of stuff, and he's super wealthy and, and successful, and he gets more stuff, and he doesn't have enough storage units for his stuff, so he's like, i got to get more storage units, so he builds a bunch more storage units so he can shove more of his stuff in there, and then that night he dies. And and Jesus tells the story. He's like, what's the point of this whole thing? Like, that guy spent all this energy and effort on making sure that his stuff was stored. Because there's so much stuff. He had so much stuff, he couldn't even use it, he had to store it. And yet he died, and so it just seems like a crazy loss. What's interesting, because greed is often driven by a fear of losing stuff. Fear is the driving force behind greed. Fear feeds Greed, fear of not having enough, fear of life not being fair, fear of not having it when you need it. Fear drives greed. Here's the fourth enemy of the heart, uh, jealousy. Jealousy says this, in essence, it says, God owes me. That's a statement, right? (laughs) You just drop that little bomb and walk away. God owes me now. Uh, immediately when I read that, I'm like, that's not okay. I, I, nobody think. Here's the thing about jealousy that's super interesting. We've got to unpack it a little more. Uh, uh, we see what others have that we lack. It's uh, looks, skills, opportunity, health, height, inheritance, whatever it might be. And we assume that the problem is with the other person. Like, I'm jealous of that person because they have, and I really wished I had... But the challenge with that is that that person probably isn't even aware of your jealousy and probably didn't do anything magical either to get the things he has or uh, he's not rubbing it in your face in any capacity at all. God just chose to give them those things instead of you. Our problem is really with God. Because in a nanosecond, God could have made that equal. Fair fairy, right? He could have just decided, okay, I will give it to you too. But he didn't. He just didn't give it to me. He gave it to them and not me. And so jealousy, we think, is a problem with the other person, but it's really a problem with God. God owes me. He could have made it equal, but he chose not to. And the person that we're jealous of can do nothing to to, to remedy that situation. If they gave you the thing that you were jealous of them having, you would still struggle with the jealousy. It wouldn't solve it. The sure sign of jealousy being lodged in your heart is when we derive pleasure when that person that we're jealous of suffers some sort of loss. So it's a bum stock market or whether they got laid off from a job that we thought we should have. We, we know jealousy is there when we're like, we never say it out loud, right? We just, in our hearts, somewhere deep, we're like, yeah.
2: <laughs>
3: jealousy is a problem. So, there you go. Four enemies of the heart, Uh, I I don't know. Uh, My hunch is that all of us in here at least can lean to one of those. And it's feeling uncomfortable all of a sudden because you're like, just don't look me in the eye. I don't want to look you in the eye either. We'll just look down at the floor. And, and what do we do about it? And that's where I want to I drive us a little bit. How do we fix it? We can't just hope those things away. We can't just think them away. Uh, just like physical heart problems, you can't just magically hope somehow it gets better or overnight it's going to fix. There needs to be probably exercise. There probably needs maybe some medication. Well, same with our spiritual heart. We've got to develop some, some, I don't know, antidote to it we we call them habits of happiness we've got to develop some habits of happiness right and so here we go the four enemies of the heart and the habits that I'd suggest we work on developing number one is guilt guilt again says uh, I owe you the habit we want to work on is confession confession confess to others confess to God especially confess to the person that you hurt you will never be able to just pay back for that offense you will never be able to, can I make it up to you somehow? There has to be confession. You have to own up and apologize. The suggestion is to keep short accounts with people and make confession a habit. Like, like all kinds of exercise, it just gets easier the more you do it so that you're just confessing all the time and people are like, it's okay, it's okay, it didn't even offend me. But the heart is so sensitive because it's so healthy that you're just into confessing, you're keeping short accounts. The second enemy of the heart was anger. Anger says, you owe me. The habit we want to cultivate here is forgiveness. Forgiveness. Now, I said when we were talking about anger, usually angry people are hurt people, and they usually have some legitimate reason for being hurt. They were legitimately hurt. And so now I'm saying forgive, and you're saying, wait a minute. So I'm just supposed to, like, let it go? This like a horrible Frozen musical or something. We're just going to run around like Elsa and sing Let It Go, and it's fine, we're all good again? I I don't think so. We just let people off the hook? Probably not. Here's what it sounds like. Ephesians chapter uh, 4, in verse 31, uh, the author says this, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. That could all just fall under the category of anger. Paul says, the author says, get rid of it. Like literally separate yourself from it. He doesn't say forget, because I wish it was that easy when you forgive someone that you just forget that it ever happened. It's just not that easy. And it doesn't mean that you don't maybe put in some future boundaries. Boundaries are good. So if somebody has hurt you, there are suggestions of some boundaries, even in the midst of the forgiveness. But it does mean that I'm no longer responsible to collect what's due me. That person owes me, I am no longer the bounty hunter here. I don't have to hunt that down. It's really God's mess to deal with. In verse 32 of Ephesians 4, it says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. God is able to forgive me. He had every right to be angry at me because I hurt him in immeasurable ways. I have the ability to forgive others when they hurt me. The only chance of that is it's made possible in Christ. The best illustration I, for me that I ever heard of forgiveness is the idea of taking your hand off their throat. They've hurt you somehow, and you've just got them. You know what I mean? You've seen this a thousand times in all the Avenger movies, right? You just got them. And forgiveness is a, is a, is a, is a mental decision to say, you know what, I, I'm, I don't have to do that. And I add in, it's God's problem to figure out. That's super helpful to me. Like, I don't have to choke it out of them. I don't have to collect that due. If forgiveness is something that you struggle with, like I do, Then here's a real practical approach. If you have the app, it's in there, so that's good. If not, this is a really, for me, it's a helpful practical approach to working with forgiveness. Number one, identify who you are angry at. I know that seems silly because you're like, I know who I'm angry at. Write it down, name it, know that person, get their face in your head. That probably isn't the difficult part. Second step is determine what they owe you. Specifically write down what they stole from you, how they hurt you, what they did to you that offended you. You cannot forgive generally. That person's a jerk, but I'm going to forgive them. It's not going to work. Write down specifically on a piece of paper that's probably between you and you and God, uh, how they are a jerk. Like, what did they say? What did they do? What did they how did were you offended? Write that down. You cannot cancel a debt that you haven't specifically identified. The third step then is cancel that debt. That's a debt that's owed you. They have hurt you and offended you, they've stolen that from you. Cancel that debt. You literally decide they no longer owe you. That's a decision you can make. That's a decision I can make. I can release my hand off their throat. I can decide, yes, they took that from me. I'm no longer going to hold them to that. I'm no longer holding that debt. I'm canceling the debt. I mean, Jesus canceled mine, so I'm able to cancel theirs, and it's Jesus' problem to deal with. And then the fourth thing, the fourth thing is dismiss the case. That's a daily decision to not reopen it. This is the hard part for me. The first three, I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I got them. And then the fourth one is, but it keeps coming up in my head. It's a daily decision to dismiss the case. Feelings don't automatically follow the decision to forgive. And it doesn't automatically erase our memories of the thing. So when anger and frustration flood back in on that thing you've already dismissed, it's okay to feel those feelings. Feelings are feelings. They come and they go. They're feelings. That's okay to feel the feelings. But you remind yourself that you've chosen to forgive it, that they don't owe you for that anymore. I think this is an amazing satanic strategy to keep us at odds with each other, which keeps us minimized and ineffective as Christ followers. Because when we say we forgive someone, then there's like the devil just whispering back here, yeah, but remember when they, remember how that felt when, and so in the past, I just started like, I'm not going to listen to that. And I'm not smart enough to not listen to that. It's just too there for me. And so this idea of saying and responding to it, yeah, 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 that hurt. That hurts. <laughs> it doesn't, I don't, but you know what? I've decided I, 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 it's not my debt to, to chase. I'm going to let Jesus figure that out, and I'm, I'm done. I'm not chasing that. Yep, it hurts. Yep, nope. Yep, some safe boundaries. Yep, yep. No, I'm trying to I don't really forget very well, so it just, it's lodged up in there. But you know what? I don't have to chase it. Man, thank you, Jesus, for forgiving my debt in even such a better way. Such a better way. Here, here's the third one, greed. Greed, if I remind you, says, uh, I owe me. I owe me. And the habit that we want to cultivate here is Generosity generosity what i like literally mean is giving your stuff away give stuff away not everything i mean if you want to give everything away i'll give you my address but but like give stuff away get in the habit of just giving stuff away you have to grapple at some point with the question why do i have so much if you live in this country and you're in this area we have so much (laughs) so why there should be no guilt for that, but why has God allowed us to have so much stuff? Literally look for opportunities to give it away. Uh, back in was March or April or whenever, when those government stimulus checks came out, remember that? It was like Christmas from the government, whatever. I had a couple families call, and it was really cool because they're like, hey, we're working, we don't need that, our house paid, our bills are paid, we, we just, we've saved well. Uh, we would just want to get rid of that somehow. That was so cool. Like to have people like just immediately, like that was their response because they've cultivated this habit of happiness, of just giving stuff away. It was like their knee-jerk reaction. It wasn't like, ah, you fill in the blank on what other stuff could happen. It was just like that. And that's not to say that everybody should have done that. I was just encouraged personally that that was a knee-jerk reaction for some people. And we're not talking just Money. Cultivating generosity, also time, heart, friendship, your experience, your skills. It is very likely that God has given you, given me, given us more than we need. Not so we can just level up and enjoy that next level of the American dream, but rather so we can practice generosity, which really mediates against greed. Here's the last one, the fourth enemy of the heart and and, and the habit of happiness we want to cultivate. It'll take a little bit to just explain through it, but it's this idea of jealousy. Jealousy says God owes me. And it's this interesting piece of what do you do with that. In, in James chapter 4, he says this. It says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Do they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. He's really describing jealousy. I want these things, but I don't have, so just it, it kills my heart. You covet, but you can't get what you want, so you quarrel in your fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And I want to suggest this morning that as we try and cultivate a, happiness, a habit of happiness to combat jealousy, that we would take that as literal as possible. And so when jealousy is rooting itself into our heart, we would literally talk to God about it. We would lay out our uh, discouragement, our frustration. We would uh, explain to him our discontent. We would revel in our jealousy about the things that we are sure he owes me. We would have those, have that out verbally with God. And then my guess and my gut, and I'd be willing to bet on it, is that in that time you will begin to transition, and if you don't naturally, then let me suggest you intentionally transition to beginning to celebrate the things that you do have. So as you're frustrated about the stuff the other people have and you feel very jealous about that and you think God owes you that too, that you would start to celebrate the things that you do have. Make the list. Start writing down the things that you do already have, the stuff that he has already provided, and celebrate that. You may not have the same income that they have or the same body shape that they have or the same intellect that they have or whatever it might be, but you have something And you begin to celebrate that. If you're jealous of those who have a spouse, celebrate the friends that God has provided you already. The extra time that isn't split between a spouse and serving God. The ability to serve without stress of a spouse. The the ability to make decisions based solely on what you want to do versus trying to take in somebody else's opinion. If you're jealous of their house, income, vacation, property, celebrate the specialness of your smaller trips. Adventures on a budget, how fun that can be. The lack of stress in dealing with owning more stuff. If you're jealous of the promotion your co-worker got, maybe celebrate your continued employment, the fact that you are still employed. Uh, Celebrate the familiarity you have with your current role or maybe the lack of stress in in doing uh, uh, what you don't know and starting something new, but rather the the uh, uh, semi-competency you have in what you're doing now. The more mental bandwidth to think about other things. The, The habit that we use, that we cultivate to combat jealousy is this concept of celebration. Celebration is what we work towards to work against jealousy. So there it is. Four enemies of the heart. Guilt, anger, greed, and jealousy. Four habits to combat those things. Confession, forgiveness, generosity, celebration. If this is an interesting concept to you and you want to dig more deeply into it, again, Andy Stanley writes a great book on it called Enemies of the Heart and I highly recommend it. Um, This has been uh, really good for me over the last couple months and just digging through it. Let me just end with questions because I think that's the most uh, important way to... uh, How is your heart? As I'm talking about these enemies, are they, is it pricking at you? Is there a sense of, mm, yeah, maybe I should think about that a little more. Is your heart healthy? Could it use some work? Working on your heart health is literally the most important thing you could do. Because Proverbs 4 says, keep vigilant watch over your heart because that's where life starts. Let me pray. I will be done. Jesus, thanks for today. Thank you that you care so much about us. You care about our heart. You care what goes into it. You care what comes out of it and you've given us some ways to cultivate habits that help us have healthy hearts. Jesus, help us chase that as we chase you. Help us to be the healthiest-hearted people on the planet so others are drawn to you because of us. For my friends in here, God, I pray that today would be an amazing day to begin to either start that or begin to continue those habits and that we would just reflect you in it. I love you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks, North Point. We'll see you next week.